Yo. Yo, can you hear me? Yeah, what's yeah. up, Malcolm? How are you? All right, cool. I'm good. How are you? I'm good, man. Without further ado, what happened to you? Uh, well, when I was a kid, I had cancer when I was like three uh, till right when I was like five. So I basically, I had Wilms tumor. It's like a type of kidney cancer. Wilms tumor? Wilms tumor, yeah. Gotcha. And I had my uh, my kidney removed. And then I went through chemo, like radiation and all that. And sorry if you heard that. <laughs> You're good. No worries. Yeah, so basically what happened was I was getting like pains in my abdomen, my lower region. And my mom went to go like get tests for it. And they said everything was fine. And then my mom was at like a soccer game or something and was talking to some mom who was like an oncologist. And she was like, oh, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound right. Send like his results my way. So my mom got my test results and like sent them over to her. And she was like, oh, like he fully like has cancer. Then I went to an, the hospital and it happened so fast. Like that night I started doing uh, chemo and like radiation and damn. Yeah. And then it came back a second time on my liver and I had half my liver removed. Yeah. Oh shit. So this was, so three to five, you had kidney cancer. Basically. Yeah. I'd say the first year from like three to four, I was dealing with the whole kidney cancer stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, I don't really remember this part as much, but like, then I guess there was like a little bit of a period where I didn't have it. Uh-huh. And then like, it just came back on my liver, which is like really common. But there's not really a name for it once it comes back. It's just, it comes back. So, like, I fucking had half my liver removed. <laughs> yeah. I got I got make-a-wishes, like, two. It was pretty, it was... You got the double make-a-wish? That. Yeah, I have a joke about that where I was like, it's pretty sick, like, having cancer. Because <laughs> they, like, pay for everything. Like, I, this big, massive Disney trip where... I was in this really nice hotel, really nice car rental. I had to skip all the lines. Like, I had to go on a ride. If I got on a ride, I could say I wanted to be on it by myself. And, like, <laughs> I'd go. And, like, then it would come back and they'd be like, how was it? And I'd be like, good, I want to go again. And they'd be like, all right. And I would go again. <laughs> and like, they would shut down. Like, if I was literally like, I want Epcot to myself for the day, they would, they would have done it. And if you want what to yourself? Epcot, it's like the park in uh, Disney. Oh, shit. Were people uh, in lot? Did you do that? Were you just ripping the same ride yeah, over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember like passing kids in the line and like kids just looking at me like, oh, dude, I hope this kid dies. Like, <laughs> fuck you, bro. And and like I went on the Jaws ride at Universal and, and I'm wearing a shirt that says like Make-A-Wish Kid, but I'm too young to really realize that. And on the ride, like, I guess the woman riding the boat is supposed to take out, like, a fake shotgun. And she's like, guys, I got this. And, like, kills the sharks. But yeah. on our ride, on our ride, she's like, guys, there's a shark in the water. Anyone, can anyone help? You. Your name's Malcolm, right? I'm, like, a five-year-old. And she gives me this, like, realistic-looking shotgun. And they, like, <laughs> hold me up. And I'm, like, shooting these fucking sharks. And at the end... I remember being like, yo, like, how did you know my name? She was like, that's the magic of Disney. I was like, no, it's not. It's because I'm a Make-A-Wish kid. And you like, you fucking know. I think Make-A-Wish was like pissed that I lived. I think they were like, holy fuck. Like we invested so much money into this kid's Make-A-Wish.
And he fucking lived. And I before Disney, before the Disney Make a Wish, I also got to go to Sesame Street. No fucking and I remember way. like Yeah. I was really young, but I remember being at Sesame Street and like meeting all the people. One of the guys that I actually like really met, he was a human on the show. Like he played a character. like he didn't use a puppet. His name was Mr. Noodles and he was in I was Dude, I, I know that guy. Okay, I I have a photo with that guy. Like, I was in his little Mr. Noodles thing. I think my grandma was Mr. Noodles' assistant, or like she worked with him, or she has some relationship with him. And so, yeah, I I absolutely know Mr. Noodle, and I I remember remember watching that Elmo guy. And then, like years later, it came out that he was like a pedophile, and I was definitely like left alone. I was definitely like oh. Yeah, the guy that voiced Elmo is a huge pedophile. Like oh, the original not Mr. Elmo. Noodle. No, not Mr. Noodle. Oh, okay, but Elmo, it. which is like still though. <laughs> fuck, I didn't know. I didn't know idea. Elmo's a pedophile. I, 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 it's so funny that we're like, thank God, the side character on Sesame Street, <laughs> Mr. Noodle. I don't give a fuck about the lead character. Yeah, yeah fuck but Elmo, dude, yeah. that's so wild. I had no idea. Insane. But I got to do both of those things. and So Disney was the first one, the first Make-A-Wish. No, the first one was Sesame Street. First one was Sesame Street, and then you beat cancer, and then yeah. it came back, and you think Make-A-Wish was like, God damn it. <laughs> like, this guy's draining yeah. our funds. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, everything I just told you is true, but I guess the real order is, like, the second time around, I don't know how it works, like, they gave it to me and we waited like so i had hair and shit i had i was in kindergarten like in class when i went to disney like i think it was actually more confusing for people because i look like a normal kid when i went to disney like i think they give it to you and you can use it whenever you want right and the idea it's just most people would would use it right away because it's it could be terminal or whatever right you want to but i think my parents were kind of like well hold on (laughs) <laughs> we wasted the first one on Sesame Street. <laughs> oh, I got to add that. That's actually kind of funny. That's a good tag. Yeah. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Dude, that's a fucking... Isn't it crazy that, like, the? it seems like the funniest jokes are just true? Like, I mean, there's, like, variations of it. Like, yeah. you know, but, but the reality is it's, like, what's going on in your head at that time is so funny. I was going to ask, like, what are, like, the limits of Make-A-Wish? Do they have, like, a budget? Yeah, definitely there was a kid that asked for a hooker once. I remember (laughs) that was, like, a nasty. Like, there was definitely a kid that was, like, I want a prostitute. And they were, like, there's enough. Which is such a weird thing because, like, you could literally get a prostitute for much cheaper than you don't need (laughs) i don't think it's i don't think it's the price saving that make-a-wish is worried about yeah i don't know what the price cap is if you had a make-a-wish what would it be (laughs) i don't know that's one of the unfortunate downsides of child molestation is you don't get a -a make-a-wish you just get a fucking pair of heelys but uh it's still uh it still was pretty sick at the time i probably would have wanted to like go like meet a soccer team like, I've always been, like, super big into soccer, and I think it would be sick to, like, maybe go to the World Cup or, like, just meet, meet, like, David yeah. Beckham or somebody like that. So I, know but, a uh, kid, I know a kid who was obsessed with the Simpsons, and they fucking flew him out, and he was in the Simpsons movie. What? Yeah. They, they put him into the Simpsons movie as, like, he has a one-line thing, and then he went to the premiere and, like, walked the red carpet with them, and... 
that was the other thing. It was like being at the hospital. At the hospital, tons of ki- kids would have like cele- like athletes come. So like Michael Jordan, Allen Iverson, like they were always coming. I don't really remember meeting them as much, but like they were always coming. Like, my dad has stories of like walking down the hallway and seeing like Allen Iverson, and it was like the day after like he had scored a buzzer beat. It was like the day after the finals or something. I don't know. Like that's so sick. Weird. Yeah. So you kind of got like the, the trickle off of like the other make a wishes too. If people yeah. did something like that, they would stop by your room too. Yeah, pretty much. But I remember thinking like that Simpsons one was so sick. Like, yeah, that's like, that's a production. I mean, and then to do the red carpet too, like that's fucking, what did that kid have? <laughs> what, do you, what do you have to have to get a yeah, uh, Simpsons movie? I think he had leukemia. So, like, it was a weird coincidence. Like, my cousin had a best fr- – she's older, like, five years older than me. But she had a best friend who was diagnosed with childhood cancer. And we grew up in South Jersey outside of Philly. And Philadelphia has the number one children's hospital in the world. And it also has the number one children's cancer department in the world. Whoa. So, like, her friend was in the – like, it's weird. Like, she, her best friend also had cancer, and he was, like, five years older than me. But my mom also knew that kid's mom because the moms all kind of knew each other. Sure. He definitely – he passed away, but he had it years after I survived. Like, I went to my cousin Sydney's bat mitzvah, and he was there, and he had cancer – and, but he, yeah. So when he had done that movie, he had done that like when he was like thirteen. Wow! But he had had it since he was like four or five, something like that. It seems like it's sort of one event, but if you can make that event drag on, you can kind, you can really milk it. That seems to be, uh, yeah. Not that Sesame Street wasn't sick, but um, maybe your parents were right on uh, holding off on the second. Yeah, I know, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> dude that's funny as hell when did you um when did you start doing stand-up about it very recently like right before corona oh damn this is fresh yeah right before corona because i know we had talked yesterday about it but i'll just go like i had just been doing jokey jokes for a while like forever yeah and i was just so like not happy about it and um like i had done that broadway comedy showcase audition yeah Yeah. that's like a real thing like they do actually pick people that get the residencies who i've now see have done like bigger things Mm -hmm. and so i tried out for it and like i did have a great show like i did have a great performance out of most of the comics there yeah i don't know i just remember thinking like damn like i'm not really doing what i want to do and then i read tiffany haddish's book where Richard Pryor was kind of like came to her class that she was taking. And he had said like, if you're like, this sounds cheesy, but like, if you're not having fun up there, like then what's the point of doing this? Definitely. Yeah. So like, I've always, that's always like stuck with me since then. Cause every time I perform stand, stand up since then, I've been like, that wasn't fun. Well, it's fun, but it was always just felt more of like a performance where I want to get to the point where it just feels like, this you know yeah dude that's the goal is just being able to talk how you talk normally on stage and like not having it feel any different i know i know exactly what you mean and i felt like the first set that i that i did in stand-up was about molestation and and so i did that and i just fucking bombed for like four months straight 
And, and then I, I, but I would, I wasn't only doing that set after the first time. And I felt like I was trying to, I was trying to fit into that like jokey joke world and yeah. just, yeah, just like set up punchline and it wasn't fun. Like it, it's, it's fun to talk about the things that are unique to you and things that are real. You know, like rather than just like fabricating some sort of a joke, I feel like it's fun to talk about the things that are unique to you. And, and especially when people can relate to those things. Yeah. Um, so have, have you, I know this, it's, you started doing it recently, but has, has anybody who has had cancer or has cancer seen your stand up? I have done it in some rooms, like big rooms, some assume like maybe adults that had cancer. Yeah. Statistically. Some, I mean, some everyone kind of knows. Yeah, it's definitely different than, like, the molestation thing because I feel like maybe we all know someone that got molested, but they're not open about it. But, like, everyone definitely knows someone who had cancer, died from cancer. Yeah, I would imagine that especially people who have had cancer would really appreciate your humor. Um, That's been the experience that I've had with the molestation set is, like, particularly, I mean, cancer, molestation. I mean, you're talking about, like, heavy stuff that, like, is not generally laughed about. And I think uh, people just enjoy being able to have like a different take on it and, and being able to laugh about it. And like my grandpa, the when kid, I, I have a question. Yeah. Does the kid that's dad did it? It's your friend's dad, right? So, yeah. My friend's dad. Yeah. I watched the TikTok. You're open about it. That's all why. But yeah. did you still know that kid? Like, does he know you do stand up? Like, <laughs> yeah. So, so he, he the TikTok. Well, so, so his, my relationship with him is basically as good as it can be given the circumstances. So like, so we had to go to trial after I, after I told my parents and the guy didn't get convicted. Um, and my parents asked me like, do you want to move away? And I was like, no, like this is, this is my home. Like all my friends are here. I love it here. Um, and so we stayed, uh, and my friend was a year younger than me, but we went to the same high school and even though the guy didn't get convicted, he had a restraint. We had a restraining order against him. But one of the conditions on the restraining order was that he was allowed to come to his son's soccer games. So me and his son were on the same soccer team. And so for all of my high school soccer games, the guy who molested me was in the stands. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Which was so wild. So me, me and his son were always like cordial when we, when we were chilling. Like we, we weren't like actively hanging out obviously and definitely not going to each other's houses but um but we were still like chill I mean like it wasn't it never came up like it it was never an issue um and it was cool to be able to still have that relationship with him despite everything that had happened and it got to a point as we got older we would like chill at like parties and stuff it was so cool because a big reason why I hadn't, why it took me so long to speak up and tell my parents initially was because I thought that I would lose my friend. And that was like, I didn't want that. I mean, he was my best friend at the time. And I, I, at that age, did you, come like, clean, did you talk about it in high school? I talked about it when I was 10 or I told my parents okay. when I was 10. Yeah. yeah Cause I got you healies, but the, right. I, I don't know if you care about talking. I just want to know stuff too. Like, Oh dude, no, it's open quick. book, man. Whatever, whatever. Okay. You want like, to. all right. So wait, wait, but, Here's my opinion. If I'm Jamie, yeah, right, and I truly believe that you're lying, yeah, there's no way I could be nice to you over I that. I know. Okay? I agree. Like, let's say I'm the kid that really believes you're. So that's why I think he thinks you're telling the truth. I think so too, man. I mean, I, 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 and 
I yeah. really feel that. First of all, like kids don't make that shit up. I have no reason to say that my best friend's dad was touching my dick. There's nothing that he could do to make me make that up other than yeah. touching my dick. So it, obviously yeah. it's like I'm, no kids aren't making this stuff up, but uh he's in the impossible situation of having to decide between do I believe my friend and like potentially out my dad to lose his dad? Obviously if he's, if he's going to say that he believes me or that, that he was um, sort of in my court at all, like it would be super bad for the defense of his dad. But I, I completely agree. And it was cool because it's like, I know that he probably felt like he couldn't, say anything if it was happening to him for example or if he had seen it happening to me i i totally understand and empathize with him for not saying anything but i also kind of just as you said know that he believes me and it's just like it's so it's so freeing you know because like it would suck so much if he was like pissed at me yeah did your parents ever like say anything to him at the game (laughs) yeah it's yeah it was a crazy dynamic at the soccer games because i'm from a small town and the vast majority of people were on my side and believed me and and were you know still friends with my parents and stuff but there was a small group of people who still supported the guy who molested me and they would still let their kids hang out with him and go over to their house and stuff and so at the games there would generally be like one other family that would sit with the guy who molested me but then all the all of these parents would stand in front of them they would basically form like a barrier so that the guy couldn't see and it was like at the time it was like it was it was kind of embarrassing because i didn't want to like make it a scene or anything i didn't want it to make a big deal i kind of just wanted everybody to pretend like nothing was happening but in retrospect it was like the absolute sweetest thing and it feels so good knowing that all of these parents were like in my corner you know and they were like they understood how ridiculous it was that this guy was allowed to be here so they would like they would fucking block his uh block his how weird the other family well, yeah. And, and the thing is, it's like, you know, in molestation cases, there's always people that aren't going to believe the victim. And there's and I think that even even if maybe they did believe me, they didn't want my they didn't want Jamie to just be like isolated and not be able to hang out with kids. Um, and, you know, it's there's all these reasons why people don't believe the victim and empathize with the with the abuser but um i think that people are more afraid of that than they need to be because the majority of people are sensible about these kind of things and know that like of course kids aren't going to be lying about this stuff so it's it's complicated but it, it was it was really awesome like just seeing all of my friends parents just like actively trying to make things better for me so it was um yeah. It was weird uh, because the guy was there. But uh, honestly, my parents and the parents that helped out really made it as good as it could be for me, given the circumstances. So the only thing we need now is to figure out how to get molestation victims a fucking make-a-wish. <laughs> or some, <laughs> some, some sort of benefit. Yeah, they need reparations or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It is insane. <laughs> I know, man. And it's so common. It might be more common than cancer. Who knows? What uh do you know the numbers on like what percentage of kids get cancer? I don't know, but I know that when I got it, they were like, there's a six percent chance he'll live. And you, now what? Yeah, and now the number is like way different. It's like they there's way more research for the type of cancer I had and and shit like that. 
like the survival Holy rate shit. went up. So when, I don't, you, were, I when you were three, you were told that you had a 6% chance to live. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. I know. It was crazy. I think it's harder on my, it was crazier for my, like my mom, to I be bet. honest. Um, it's also just so funny, bro, because my mom like was always so scared of someone doing something to me. That's why I have so many questions for you because of anything. I grew up with this horrible, like, I'm not even gonna lie, like PTSD, like disorder of like, I, I still to this day think I'm going to get like kidnapped and really yeah like dude you know that at like a young age my mom would show me like swear in my life dude like tv shows of like kids that that are like i escaped like like elizabeth smart like kids that would get like kidnapped or like molested and shit and i was literally terrified of like vans like white vans like i would be with my friends biking and like if we were on like a suburban street like in just in a neighborhood and a white van was pulling up like i would start like preparing like my mom would train me like run serpentine if someone ever tried like like run like, <laughs> like a snake yeah, and, yeah, like yeah. run into backyards don't run on this like run through people's backyards because like wow. they, and like my mom will always be like if someone ever says oh come with me like don't go there like, don't go – if someone ever says, like, hey, Malcolm, I want to show you something. like, And now I grew up with people all the time being like, why are you always so afraid? Like, I've tried to actually make jokes, stand-up jokes about it. Because yeah. I'm, like, technically – I'm, like, a 24-year-old guy, and I still think that, like, people have, like, a – like, I think it's so common, which I, I think it is. <laughs> but my mom literally trained me. It's so weird t- being able to talk to someone that went through something kind of like, like went through it. Yeah. Because that was my mom's biggest fear. Wow. I mean, obviously, the, the way that you feel about it now is, is clearly because of how it was sort of ingrained into your mind at that age with, with those shows, especially when we're that young, like graphic content can be so impactful. And one of the goals of this podcast is to kind of figure out the right way to arm kids with the knowledge that they need to defend themselves from people like child molesters. And um, that's sort of the, the debate is like, what can you teach kids and, and show them without like causing harm to them? And I think that um, you can definitely warn kids about things without necessarily causing them to develop PTSD and, and things like you're talking about. Your mom's intentions are obviously great, though. Oh, yeah, the intentions were fine. That's why I laugh about it. Yeah. It's just more so funny. Like my mom would like all the time be like, yo, do you trust that person? Like, do they ever do anything weird around you? And I'd be like, what? No. Well, that's, I like, think that's well, really good. I think it's so important as a parent to be asking questions like that, oh, especially yeah. about relationships that your kid has with other parents. Um, oh yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was probably, I mean, just based on the, how you were describing it, it was probably the shows that were the particularly. Oh my God. Like, I guess watching all those documentaries on like, like I heard so many times, like, he offered to show this kid like comic books in the back office room. And like the kid was like never seen again. And I'm like, I, so my mom made sure like, don't go with anyone. Don't go off with anyone. Hey bro, you might have PTSD, but at least you didn't get kidnapped or molested. (laughs) She she made it work. Like there was a kid's dad who always would offer to ride, give me rides home and stuff, but I never even really liked the kid. 
Yeah. Like, I wasn't friends with him. So it was just, like, really weird. And I remember I was biking once by myself, and he, like, pulled over on the side of the road and was like, hey, man, like, you need a ride home? And I remember I literally was like, you get the fuck away from me. And I biked <laughs> off. I was in, like, fifth grade. And I remember, like, biking home and being like, mom, like, yeah, this guy's yeah. dad weirds me the fuck out. Like, he does weird me out. Like, Dude, I think that kids that. have a, a feeling about that stuff. And I'm glad that you went with it because you might have been right. I, I, yeah. I think that there's kids have an intuition about, I mean, obviously just people have intuition about those kind of things, but it, uh, it shouldn't be overlooked. Just like how some, how an adult is making a child feel, even if they haven't done yeah. something tangible necessarily. It's like, there's all sorts of, uh, signs and, and things that they can, that they can do that make you feel off. And, um, those things are all so essential to be discussing with, with your parents. So I definitely, command your your mom for doing that even you know there's there might be a, a less uh impactful drastic way to do it than showing your kid a bunch of, <laughs> a bunch yeah. of kidnapping films but um, yeah. at least you didn't get kidnapped bro it well, it's also weird. like something that's really interesting to me is my friend went to go pl- wrestle in college down south and it was like a smaller school so everyone that went there was kind of from the area like south carolina Mm-hmm. And he had told me how all common it is for like guys in high school to have sex with their teachers. <laughs> like you know how you always hear about like hot teacher having sex with a student. Yeah, it's like okay, they're not all hot down there, but like there are there's like he was like bro, it's like common. Like every town has like a scandal, or like wow. there's also kids that are like, oh, I had a friend that was dating a. And I'm just like, holy shit, that would have been insane. I think that's another interesting, like, why is like, why don't we talk about them as pedophiles? Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that's part of why it's hard for guys in particular to come forward and speak up about these things because, and obviously this goes for girls too, but people sort of associate you enjoying it because of that fantasy that is pretty well known about. It's like, yeah, fucking your teacher. And it seems uh, way creepier for an adult male to be hooking up with like a really young high school student, for example. But it's, it's just exactly the same thing in terms of the manipulation and kids just aren't developed yet. Like that's just what it comes down to is that you're not able to consent to things yet. So even if you might be into it, you're not at an age where you are being taken advantage of. And it's, it's complicated, man. It's like a huge problem, just as you said. And uh, I don't know why they're not treated as pedophiles. more. I, I feel like I have seen a number of headlines though recently that are, that are sort of painting the, the women as pedophiles pedophiles more so but like even on tiktok like i'll see yeah the tiktok's where it's like hey yeah the dude it's like it'll be like a headline and it'll be like two teachers (laughs) had threesome with with young male student and then the dude and then the dude will pop up be like hey (laughs) so it's it's complicated because obviously not all experiences it's possible to be really into it but it's like in the way that the system is set up right now it's like you're you're a minor and they're adults and that's that's 
That's what it is. It's it's tough because it's like you can't paint every scenario with the same brush and just say, you know, for example, like if a 19 year old hooks up with a 17 year old, yes, it's not, it's not, it's not legal and it's not ideal, but there's a difference between that and a 40 year old hooking up with a 17 year old or there's the age gap does play a difference, but it's like, you know, at the end of the day, if you're, if it's a minor and an adult, it's, you can't do it. And it, it needs yeah. to be that way. Those those laws exist for a reason. Um, I honestly don't even think that it, I think that it's too arbitrary of a standard to just say that you turn 18 and all of a sudden everything is okay. And then the day before that or, or the day after that, all of a sudden it's just like now yeah. you're 18, fuck it, date of 40 year old. You know, it's like it's it's too um I don't know what the solution is, but it seems like it's a little bit too, uh, I don't know. There needs to be more talk about these topics and, and people just aren't really doing it. But yes. anyway, I wanted to ask you, um, you were talking about how Make-A-Wish is less sympathetic when you get it the second time. Was all of this between the ages of three and five, like both beating cancer and then getting it again? Yes. And then I was put, there are these fucking birds outside my fucking, I don't know if you can hear them. I can't hear them. It's all good though. Okay. So yeah, I had it in between three and five beat it. And then I was put into like another grade after kindergarten called pre first. So I could get like a little bit of a head. Like I was a little bit behind like academically. And um, when I was in that, they sat my parents because I go for checkups and my parents sat me down and that ass like told me I had cancer a third time in my lung. Like what? they were like, like they were, well, they basically, I remember the convo like so well, but they were like, yeah, like you went back for your results and we got the tests and like, you know how we wait on those tests. And I'm like, yeah. And they were like, well, like they saw some, they saw something in your liver. So like, we're going to have to, you're going to have to go and like get surgery in your liver. I remember it was like Thanksgiving or some shit like, and then I remember having the surgery and like waking up and everyone being like, Oh, surprise. You're fine. It was just like scar tissue that had like fall. Cause I have tons of scar tissue, like internally from like when they did the surgery and like growing and like, Cause they got to do the scar in a way, I guess that can like grow with your body. I don't know. Yeah. They were just like, Oh, it was just like scar tissue. So like, <laughs> I got fucking surprise. like opened up like, and they, they took like a piece of my lung out because of it. Like they literally cut a piece of my lung out where they thought was like a tumor. And then they were like, they like cut it out. And then they were definitely like, Oh, Oh, never mind. This is fine. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess I can't put it back in. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's an unfortunately, uh, did some irreversible damage there, but, um, at least you didn't have cancer a third time. Yep. And then basically I was a rock star from my town. I bet like, dude, you would think that it's like, Oh, like he has this massive scar on his stomach. Like how embarrassing, like, no, like I was at pool parties and like kids, guys were like, yeah, I have abs. And they're like, we don't care. Malcolm has this dope scar on his stomach. <laughs> Dude, I would tell people, like, when I was mad young, I'm like, yeah, it's a shark bite. Because it's, like, it goes around my stomach like this. Yeah. People would be like, what? I'm like, yeah, like, almost had the, these aren't even my legs. Like, <laughs> people, I would literally, it was the best bomb to drop on people. Like, yeah. people would be like, yeah, I had it really hard. Like, I have asthma. I'd be like, oh, I get where you're coming from. I had cancer. 
And then they'd be like, Twice. wait, what? <laughs> it's like, God, I must, you have, you know the feeling when you can, I don't know, actually, I, it's not the same, but like, maybe you can agree with me when someone's talking to you and they're like, I had a friend who like, his dad was just an asshole. And you'd be like, oh, word. Well, my friend's dad <laughs> fucking molested me. And I took him to, and, and then people are like, whoa, what? Yeah. And then no. you're like, all right, kids, gather around. I'm the life of the party for the next hour. Attention's See, on me. It's different. I completely get it, but it's different because it's cool to bring up that you beat cancer at a party. <laughs> it's not that cool to bring up that you got molested by your friend's dad. That's the only difference. Yeah, people are like, oh, Malcolm, you're a hero, but Sebastian, you're a victim. And that's what I want to do is change change that so that it is the type of thing that you <laughs> celebrated, that you got out, you survived, you know? It's, it's well, can so- I be honest with you? You definitely broke, like, a stereotype I had because – I was a going to ask about the kid, the Jamie, right? I yeah. was going to be like, well, is Jamie a weirdo now? Because I was going to say, like, because I said to you, like, he was probably molested too, if anything, in my opinion. And yeah. then I was going to say, well, is he a weirdo now? But then I didn't want to ask that because I'm like, well, you're not, a, you were molested and you're not a weirdo. So it's not, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I've always just yeah. had this belief that, like, same thing with like porn stars every porn star most of the time will tell you like something fucked up happened to them sure you know so i always assume that like i guess people that were touched as kids were weird but then then i'm talking to you i'm like you you're a completely normal person you're you're living in hollywood you're pursuing your dream like i think that there's a lot of things that people assume about people who have been abused and you're right like they're especially like untreated abuse can manifest itself in all sorts of ways when you when you grow up and I think that everybody has different perceptions for different reasons and you know maybe part of the way that you part of the reason that you felt that way is because of how your mom had presented it to you or how you were grown up thinking about this topic as like this horrible thing which it is a horrible thing yeah but um how bad it would be if it happened and how desperately you wanted it to not happen out of fear of maybe how you would end up, what you would be like if it, if it happened to you. So I yes, totally get that. That is exactly it. You just, I don't know if my connection cut out, but that is exactly it. You just hit it. You're like a therapist, dude. That's crazy. <laughs> I'm glad crazy. <laughs> it's it cut out a little bit, but I heard crazy. I heard, I heard therapist and crazy. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad, but, um, yeah, it's like, you know, not only not only are are people that have been abused like not it, it doesn't it it's you're definitely affected by it and it it does change you in in many ways, but I think that it doesn't I think that right now it's like the the perception of it is that you're fucked forever. You're permanently damaged. Yeah. And, and I really don't think it's like that at all. And it really is as simple as like coming to terms with what happened speaking up about your experience and just allowing yourself to process it. I think it's when you don't process it and, and feel like you have to suppress all the emotions and feelings associated with it. That's when you start exhibiting like physical symptoms, things that maybe you might've associated with being weird. I mean, really it can affect you in any way. And it's like I said, it's different for everybody, but I, I, I think that it's like changing the stigma that is associated with victims in this particular thing is like so crucial for making a difference in, in how big of a problem it is. Because if people can know that they went through something like this and they can recover from it and be stronger because of it. It's like you won't feel 
so bad about coming forward. But like so many people have reached out saying that they haven't said anything because they're ashamed or because they're afraid of how they'll be perceived, how people will judge them. And it's like, not only will the majority of people not feel that way about you, but like most people will deeply empathize and and appreciate you for speaking up and even if nobody did that it's still so helpful for you and that's like the most important thing so um yeah i'm glad you don't think i'm a weirdo (laughs) (laughs) no it's just more like yeah that's exactly what it is like i'm not used to meeting someone who who says like i'm molested and they're like seem like they got their shit together and stuff like and then i meet you and you seem like i would never have thought I, I don't, but that's, I don't know why, what I'm talking about, but it's almost like, it's, it's, it's just crazy to meet someone. Yeah. Yeah, man. That. I, I think that that's part of the goal with all of this is like having these conversations is part of it is to show people that like, you can talk about this stuff without it having to define you and without yeah. it having to, and, and don't get me wrong. Like I've had my fair share of, of sadness associated with all of this, Yeah, but the more you talk about it, the, the easier it becomes and the more you're able to process it. And like, I'm still processing. It's an ongoing, yeah. it's an ongoing thing, but it's like, it just doesn't have to be this dark secret that you, when you reveal it, everybody who hears it has to be so sad and, and it feels yeah. so bad for you. You know, it's like, it's such a common thing. It's like 20% of kids get molested. It's, it's an astounding number. And, uh, and yet nobody's talking about it. Do your, fa- your parents ever talk about it? Yeah. It's, it's a, <laughs> it's funny with my parents because after we went to trial, I, I basically didn't talk about it really until I started doing stand up about it. And then once I started doing stand up, my parents and I talk about it like constantly now, like all, all the time, because it's, it's so helpful because we all went through it together so yeah. it's, it's being able to, and, and, you know, we'll have conversations and things will pop up that I haven't even thought about before. And, and just by being able to talk about it openly, things will come back to you and, and different memories and things. And so it's like, I feel like I've been on this sort of healing journey with my parents and obviously they're healing too, because it was a super difficult experience for them to go through. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, we, we talk about it a lot. We talk, we're super open about it. And, um, eventually I want to have them on the podcast too, because I think that it would be extremely helpful for parents to hear from the perspective of parents whose kid got molested. You know, what, what were, what was that experience like and how can we avoid it? Um, in the future because it's so it's so easy to in retrospect see all of the things that all of the signs right all of the things that that were going on that shouldn't really have been going on but at the time didn't seem like a big deal Um, so I think parents a lot of times will blame themselves for things that even you know victims blame themselves everybody finds a way to assign blame to themselves but it's Mm -hmm. it's the only person whose fault it is is the uh, is the abuser and um, it really is just that simple. And yet it's so complicated in the way that we all process it and handle it differently. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's so cool to just like be able to, you know, empathize with somebody. It's like, obviously, I, I didn't have cancer or anything, but it's, it's funny just comparing childhood experiences. And there, there seems to be a lot of overlap in terms of the the thought process that you had at the time and how funny that is in retro looking back on it. It's funny now, like growing up, I always laughed about it. Then like when I got to college, I think I was thinking about how the seriousness of 
what happened. And then like, I definitely now look back on it. The Make-A-Wish and the stand-up stuff definitely like started helping me like not care less about it now. It's not really like a part of my identity. I feel like maybe growing up, I was like the kid with cancer, the kid who had cancer. But now it's just kind of like, yeah, I had it like when I was really young. There's also been times where I've thought about it like, dude, I can't believe I fucking had cancer as a kid. Like, I do think about that sometimes. Like, I'm like, what the fuck? That's so weird. Because I really don't feel any different than anyone else who yeah. hasn't had it. But, like, so, yeah, that is – that's a – I think I got more – like, I started caring about it once I started thinking about other people, like, how it affected them, like, probably how it affected my mom or my dad. Yeah. But – because it never really affected me growing up in a bad way. Yeah, do you feel like a sense of guilt knowing that other people have been through, you know, it was tough for other people? Yeah, I actually have thought about that. There's definitely times where I've thought like, damn, like there's so many kids that died that I knew and like I'm here. And like like if I'm ever doing something stupid or if I've ever fucked up, like if I've ever done something bad or gotten in trouble, I've always, that's always kind of been like what I've held myself to. I'm kind of like, come on, dude, like you shouldn't be doing that, you know, because you had fucking cancer and you live. Like, that's how I think I, I, it's weird to say out loud. Like I've never actually said this, but like, it is weird. Like, I do think that to myself, like when I was in high school, I got in trouble for partying or whatever, got arrested. My parents had to come pick me up. But to myself, I was definitely like, come on, man. Like, it's it is a little funny because but i'm like come on like you had cancer and you fucking survived and you're fucking out doing this bullshit like (laughs) like like when you should like you would you would hope that like if your kid almost dies and they have that their whole life then like they go on to like cure cancer as an adult you know what i'm saying (laughs) so there has been times where i'm just kind of like I do think it made me a very, like, I definitely have a temper and I can be an asshole to people if they're, if they get me to a certain point of anger, but I've always connected with people who I can tell are struggling and it's like, not like they can't control it. Sure. Yeah. You know, so like if I ever see someone with like a physical disability or physical handicap, like I definitely feel something for them because I just, that was another thing about growing up and like being in the hospital a lot as a kid. Like there's kids there that you meet that don't have cancer. I met a lot of kids that had like fallen off of bikes, hit their head. And then for the rest of their life, they were like, they had brain damage. Yeah. And like, they didn't have cancer, but I still hung out with them in the hospital. Right. There's also like kids with like cerebral palsy. I always like, like with me in the hospital or that's another thing is like a lot of kids with down syndrome or there's a type of leukemia. There's like a certain crossover where like sometimes kids with down syndrome get a rare type of leukemia. Mm. So there was like, I always knew what like down syndrome was like, no one ever had to explain to me. Like we don't stare at people in wheelchairs because I knew what it was like to be stared at. And I knew when I was three, like, I remember that shit, like being at the beach and people staring at me because I was bald and like, not like, cause I, I also tried to make a joke about that once. Like I looked like a little Mr. Clean, like, <laughs> you know, the bald, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. and I will admit this, like maybe as a kid, 
being embarrassed to have cancer maybe or trying to fit in. I mm-hmm. did participate in the like Timmy from South Park. Yeah, like, definitely. Where like you joking around with your bo- like your guy friends as a kid and you're a boy or whatever. But I definitely also in the back of my head felt super guilty about it. Sure. And like and I felt like I knew that I'm supposed to feel more guilty about it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like when you go through these things, you have uh, an innate uh, empathy towards people that have been through similar shit. And it's like, it's not at all confined to your own experience. It's like, I was molested, but it, it's like, I completely feel for somebody like you who went through cancer. That's what I've realized doing this podcast is that like, you know, people will reach out who haven't been abused, haven't had cancer, haven't had anything necessarily comparable to that. It's all completely different. But like, in terms of like the trauma spectrum, you know, people will reach out who have been like, and, and a lot of them will preface like, hey, I haven't been through anything like molestation. But I really appreciate you having the conversation about it. It makes it makes me feel more comfortable yeah. talking about what I went through. Some, some people have said that about like their parents being divorced, for example. And I, I think it's really important for people to know that like there is no trauma qualification in terms of things being, oh, well, you're allowed to feel bad about that. That's that that fits into yeah. this, you know, trauma category definition okay. or whatever, like yeah dude i remember when i was growing up i honestly thought that my parents getting divorced would be worse than getting molested <laughs> that's just that's really? just what i thought yeah man because it's like you when you're going through your thing i think particularly with molestation because you try so hard to like block it out and just not and because of how common divorce is i was seeing my friend's parents getting divorced and i was like fuck i would hate it if that happened so much and um, yeah, and it's just like the grass is always greener, but I just don't want anybody to ever diminish the significance of what they've been through just because other people have been through what seems to be more in their minds. It's all arbitrary and it's all it's it's, you know, everybody's got shit. And even if you don't not having shit is probably some shit. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I don't know. Exactly. everybody, uh, it's everybody can empathize. And, and I think it's just hearing other people's stories just makes whatever you've, whatever your story is seem a little bit more uh, manageable. So yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's all good. Do you ever, uh, do you, are you worried at all about potentially getting it again? No, not really. To be honest, I've, I've like talked to them and like my doctors and stuff. I've definitely been more worried about like, not that, but the effect it had on my body. For instance, like when I was watching the movie, the new show Chernobyl. Yeah. Right. I'm like watching all these people like rotting from radiation. Mm-hmm. And I'm like keeping in mind that I had radiation. Now it's definitely a different level of radiation, but it's like basically all my organs have been radiated on. Right. So, I mean, I put down on my license that I'm an organ donor but like it would definitely be a waste of time because they're going to open me up and then realize like they, they, there's a chance that they're going to be like, we can't use this person. Like, yeah, they, they told me I might not be able to have kids. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I had this type of medication, right. Where like, if you have a certain amount of dosage, you can't have kids, but like, so I'll think about that shit. And then I'm like, well, I had radiation done. I have one kidney. Like, am I going to be someone who, when I'm like 50, they're going to be like, well, yeah, you need to get a new kidney. Like, you have two kidneys for a reason. So I, 
Sometimes I think about it like, and they always used to tell me as a kid, like, no, you can live a completely normal life with one kidney. Mm -hmm. Then I'm like, well, can you? Cause like I do drink. I used to not really drink in high school. And then like, I kind of just was like, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. And like, I'm definitely not alcoholic. Like I, look, I can, I'm a recreational drinker. Like I don't have a drinking problem, but like, I have heard of people with one kidney saying like, Oh, I don't drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. So then sometimes I do panic. I'm like, fuck, like, am I going to be 16? They're going to be like, holy fuck. Like uh, you drank like a normal person, but you don't have a normal person's filter. Yeah. And everything in my whole life has always never lasted long. Like, like never <laughs> lasted. I mean, like I'm being honest though. Like any, like any pro like I literally look at it as like a filter, like any, think about it. When you have a fan in your room, you have to clean the fan. It gets mm-hmm. dusty. Right. Sometimes I'll be looking at that dusty fan thinking like, man, I got to clean that thing. I wonder what my kidney looks like. <laughs> like that's literally, you're asking me like, that's, that's, that is the, that is the anxiety that PTSD yeah. that, that I have. Like I definitely have PTSD and I definitely have anxiety that is from having cancer. Mm-hmm. And I also think to myself, even if I didn't have cancer, I still would have shit for other reasons. Yeah, I also have a tree nut allergy. Like, I had it rough as a kid, bro. I was allergic to everything. Anaphylactic. Like, I almost died from eating a cashew when I was a senior in high school. Like, literally my throat closed up. And I started getting, like, my, my heart was about to have a heart attack, like, a second away. And I, had, I used the EpiPen. So I have PTSD from that, too. Sure. Like, I, I, I grew up never giving a fuck about my allergy. As long as, like, I knew, like, there wasn't nuts. Like, if they said, like, made in the same factory, I was like, whatever. And then I ate something that I thought was, like, I never used to ask. I would say to myself, I'm at an Italian restaurant. I'm going to have this, this, this salad. And then they're like, oh, well, at our restaurant, we just happen to put pecans in it. So now if I get a margarita... I'm like, well, are you guys putting like an almond liqueur in it or something like, <laughs> and, and sometimes bartenders look at you crazy, but then sometimes they're like, nope, don't worry. There's no nuts. Cause they, they, they do have drinks. Yeah. They fucking put nuts in. So now like I definitely, before dating my girlfriend, I was so embarrassed about it. Like mm. going to a restaurant and asking at like a pizza place. Cause now yeah. I'm terrified. Cause now I'm like, dude, they could be fucking putting nuts in anything. How did that change? after you started dating your girlfriend in terms of your embarrassment? Well, she just started being like, why do you like, don't be sorry. I have a banana, but she's just like, <laughs> she just kind of like, I remember just always a pop being apologetic for it. Yeah. And she was just like, why are you apologizing? Like it's your fucking life at stake. Yeah. Like you shouldn't have to apologize. And then we've also gone to places where like the, she says like, stop saying sorry. And then the waiter's like, yeah, dude, don't say sorry. I also, work in restaurants as like a side hustle Mm -hmm. and like there's been so many times where i've seen like before i was a waiter i was a food runner and i would see waiters be like fuck man this kid has a sesame allergy Mm. all right chef can you do this and can you and i was always like fuck like that's how the waiters would act when i would tell them so i kind of felt a little bad like i'm making it harder on them and stuff but i don't know also it's just so like pussy to say like Nah, dude. I mean, I get that. It's. I think your girlfriend is 100% right. And I'm glad that you feel less like that after starting to date her because it's like a lot of those things. It's like the, the worry. It's you feel the worry of waiters and people reacting the way those particular waiters did. But yeah. the reality is it's like 
not only should you not be ashamed, but like no amount of worry will have any impact on what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like no matter how many times you play in your head, what it'll be like if when you event, when you're like, Hey, does this have nuts in it? It's like, it, it doesn't, it doesn't change anything. All it does is detract from the moment that you're actually experiencing. It just makes yeah. whatever this, whatever this moment is just shitty because you're thinking about how bad a future moment is going to be. And most of the time that future moment doesn't even happen. Yes. It's all good. <laughs> you know, yes. it's like my mom always sends food back for being too cold. Like that's embarrassing. It's like a mom trope, dude. Yeah. Yeah. My mom is the worst is. at restaurants. Yeah. But it's like when you're when you're talking about it's like it's it's your it's your life, just as your girlfriend said. And it's whatever experience you want it to be. If you wanna if you wanna be in that anxious state, it's your uh it's your MO. But um I've been a very anxious person in the past, especially we hadn't talked about this yet, but my grandpa died of cancer um mm-hmm. about a year and a half ago. And I was living with him in LA when I first moved out here from New York. Whoa. And so I lived with him for like a year and he had multiple myeloma and uh, which is like a blood cancer and um i just had never really had somebody that i was really close with die and it became like i just hadn't had that experience and it's not unique to me i everybody goes through this but i started feeling just so anxious and i felt like depressed and it just it felt like I, I couldn't do basic tasks like i would sleep all the time and i just didn't really want to confront the reality of it all um and it was like well first of all the most beneficial thing i've found for anxiety is meditation are you into that at all i i do other things for med like that are forms of meditation that like i've convinced myself isn't like something that's really helpful for me is like playing rain music yeah sure on youtube like eight hours black screen rain music yeah, but like <laughs> I, I also know people that are like oh i have like a mantra that's like i say like ziba zaba ziba to myself and like breathe and like i go into another state of mind and like i'm not someone that could do that mm-hmm. but or i why, just why do you think that I just haven't, I, I've tried it and I just like, every time I just think about, I'm too insecure, I guess. Like I'm one of those people that's like, this is stupid. Like this, like, and then my friend's like, no, just try it. I'm like, okay. And like, I'm trying and I just, <laughs> I also can't close my eyes for long periods of time. Like I get, I would love to try the deprivate, um, sensory deprivation tanks. Yeah. Yeah, but I, yeah. you know what? Now that I'm talking to you and you're like a super cool guy. Thanks, man. I would try it. Because everyone I'm also talks and says they do meditation is one of those like yogi, which I also actually do like yoga. I did a yoga acting nice. class. And nice. that, cause I was do, I, I, I've done therapy and shit. And like, you know, all, those just in the same way that you thought all kids who had been abused were weird. It's like these preconceived notions often get in the way of us sort of actually experiencing what people might be like or what the experiences that we're talking about might be like. For example, uh, meditation, you know, thinking that all people are like yogis or whatever. It's like for me, and I can only speak from my experience, but meditation took me out of depression and anxiety. 
completely completely like it's not even an exaggeration when i say like it's gone and it and and it'll come back but with meditation it changes your outlook on it it changes your ability to see thoughts that in the past would have ruined you for an entire day because you think about them and then your mind's gone it's just off and all these hypothetical future scenarios all the horrible things that have happened in the past all these things taking you out of the present moment like meditation allows you to look at these thoughts and just observe them without them taking a hold of you. And um, a lot of the things that you were just describing, it's like, I think meditation is beneficial for quite literally everyone, but especially if you feel like you can't do it, if you feel like you can't close your eyes and you can't sort of just let your mind be for a little bit, that's the people that will benefit from it the most, especially if you're anxious. And it doesn't have to be a lot, you know, five minutes a day. The important thing is just getting it into your routine where you have some time every that's day. That's what I'm saying is like, I do, I do met my own form of meditation in other ways. Like every yeah. morning, every morning, I was really depressed in college. And what really helped me was just every morning waking up, getting a cup of coffee and walking. Oh yeah. But not having like I never actually used to walk in New York to just walk. Like I only walk if I'm going somewhere. But like <laughs> yeah. now in my neighborhood, I get a coffee, I maybe just listen to music and I just walk. I'll sit on a bench for a little bit. I also got into reading. Like reading was another is like maybe my meditation. Sure, yeah. Is like and I don't have to do it every day, but it's like if I'm going to sit down and read, just read at least a chapter. Yeah. Because if you can read at least a chapter, you can that you can forget about all that other shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And then once you're done reading for that little period, you're like, you feel refreshed and it's, you kind of forgot about all those hypotheticals. Like you're like, that's what I'll do. Like, yeah, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll just walk. And like that actually like changed my life. Yeah, like, dude. And it is like, just as you said, it's like, there are so many different types of meditation. You don't have to sit down and close your eyes to meditate. It can be yeah. any activity. It's just doing that activity fully and not being in your head about the things that you're normally in your head about. So whether that's reading or walking, I completely get, and dude, I did the same thing in New York. It was such a game changer to walk without a destination or a time limit. Not being in a hurry when you're around a bunch of people in a hurry seems to like make it even more yeah. impactful, you know? New York is the that. worst place to live if you yeah. have any form of anxiety. And you know what's yeah. crazy? I feel like everyone in New York is like, even people that maybe years ago would be like, I would never go to therapy. Or now like you've gone to therapy, like where? Like, and I'm like, yeah, the city... New York is like... It's got to be the most like, anxious place in the world, dude. Yeah, it's the most... You're stressed about everything. Just like even... Like this call I was stressing about. Like, <laughs> like I was stressing about. I'm like, I don't have a phone. Like, there's just always something going on. There's just... You can't... I, that's why I want to... I can't wait to move to California. And I know that going to California, there's going to be their own stress. There's going to be other things. And like... It's way better, dude. That's what I talked to my therapist about years ago was like what you were kind of touching on it's like something that that i have the blessing of right now is like when i if it does come back whatever i'm it's okay like i can admit to myself that like yeah i what i'm going i'll be stressing about something and then i'll think to myself or is it just because i have anxiety Mm -hmm. like now i do that every time i have anxiety thing now dude that's amazing yeah i've like been able to train myself that like 
Like I hit a jewel the other day and I thought that my lungs were collapsing because I had just been hearing about the whole jewel crisis. And like, I actually like for an hour thought that I was like having respiratory failure and maybe it was Corona. And then at the end, I just thought, dude, it's probably that you just have anxiety. Your, your anxiety has been coming back because you're switching maybe jobs potentially. And, and then like, as soon as I thought that five minutes, like there was, I did not think about it for the rest of the night. Yeah. Just now. Dude, I mean, that's, that's the key is just recognizing it and being aware. Okay, these are anxious thoughts and feelings and they will pass. I had a friend in acting school who was trying to always get me into meditation and yoga. He got me into yoga, but he's a big Seinfeld fan. And he went to like a Seinfeld, like meditation, all these. Transcendental like, meditation. Yeah, I know he's into that. Okay, that's the thing I was telling you. That's what I can't get into. Yeah. Like transcendental like having a saying or whatever and like he like what it's kind of like when you hear joe rogan talk about the 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 fucking isolation tanks isolation tanks when when someone says like no i actually cried when i came out of it yeah and you're like yeah right like and then like you're like well then i'm thinking myself i'm like stuff like that has happened to me and like why would joe rogan lie about that like i do believe it happens yeah man and and that's uh, particularly with meditation. It's like there's uh, when I do it, it's just silent. I just sit down, close my eyes, and that's it. And and it's like I, I always thought the transcendental meditation stuff because I've read about that and was thinking about trying it out. But I don't think that meditation is something that you should pay for. And they were trying to charge like hundreds of dollars for these to yeah. sign up in these sessions. And it's like because I love like Tony Robbins. Yeah, me too. Like, I love watching his videos, and I think that everything he has to say is, like, so awesome. And he says things, and I'm like, that's me. Like, that's well. And then you go online, and it's like $1,000 a ticket for nosebleeds at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, dude. It's dude, the fucking nerve of you. Listen, I, I wanted to ask you before, before I let you go. Um, is there any advice that you would give to somebody who has been through a similar situation to you or – is going through it or maybe will go through it in terms of coming out the other side. And um, just uh, what would you say to somebody like that? Jesus. Um, I, I guess I would just say like, when you do go through, when you do get through it to the other side, which you will like, don't let it define you or hold you try, like hold you back. I guess that's what I would say. I don't know. It's a hard, qu- it's like, it's weird to say it's a hard question. Cause it's just kind of like be, give me a nice answer. Like just be a nice person. But I guess just like, no bro, there's no right answer. Yeah. Like Whatever don't give up. I guess don't feel alone. I always tell people like whatever you're going through, you're not the only one. Yeah. Like literally in any situation, like, if I feel super depressed because maybe me having cancer as a kid had a massive effect on my parents. Right. And I feel really guilty about that. Like there's also another kid that is literally thinking and feeling the exact same thing, you know? And, and I think that that's what really gets, gets us down is when we feel like it's just happening to us. Yeah. When unfair things 
that's why I really relate to people that I can tell they're going through something that's not within their control Mm -hmm. or they're going through an unfair situation. It's just because like I've been through something, you've been through something where it's kind of like, why the fuck did this happen to me? And you can't think like that because when you think like that, you're just going to, it'll never take you any po- anywhere positive. Like it's a great thing to say to your friend that's going through a breakup, you know, it's like, dude, you're not the only one that had these feelings, right? Like yeah. this is what being in love is. This is what being heartbroken is like, this is it. Yeah. It's like, it's so, so it's kind of like, like my, my, she's very open about it. My girlfriend just got diagnosed with um, MS. Oh shit. And it's like terrifying. Yeah. It's absolutely terrifying. But it's now that it's kind of like a couple months through it, it's kind of like, at least for me now, I'm like, this is what it's like to date someone that is told that they have a huge disease. Like, yeah. Like a, like a really a life changing disease, a disease, which it's not, it hasn't felt life changing. Like, I mean, I don't have it, but it's like, it's not like holding us back or anything, but it's kind of like, holy shit, like this is it. But you know what? There's someone else tomorrow that's going to be told this news. Mm-hmm. There's going to be someone that's being told, you know, worse news. So I guess that's what I would tell someone that's maybe down on themselves. Maybe it's not advice, but it's just kind of like, just try to remind yourself that you're not the only one. I love that, man. It's such a universal feeling across all trauma is that you feel alone. You feel like you're the only one going through it and it couldn't be further from the truth. Not only are there other people, but there's like a crazy number of other people going through exactly what you've been through and can empathize with you. And um, I I think that that's great advice. And also, you know, I'm really happy that you and your girlfriend are together and that you're able to be there with her for that experience. I think that it's, it's going to be so helpful. Um, I think it's just perfect that you guys are together and like, you know, somebody who's been, through what you've been. Like, man, you hit the lottery. Cause like I have, I had cancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, another thing about, that's another thing. I kind of have to sometimes like not, but I also have to like remind myself, like when I was telling you about the kidney thing, it's just like I, people have, it's different, you know, it is yeah. different. So I can't keep saying things like, well, with my doc, like, I know what you're going through because I, f- I don't, you know, I don't. So yeah. like, and even though you might not know exactly what they're going through, I think it's always helpful to know that people are empathizing with you yeah. and it might be a different experience. And I, and I know, and I feel the same way, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm trying to make a, be- a habit of not always tying things back to myself and yeah. not making it about me. And so I completely agree with you. Um, that being said, you know, it can be so helpful for people to be saying, Hey, I went through something similar. And uh, so definitely don't feel bad about making it about you. But um, just in the same way that she helped you uh, become less self-conscious about your nut allergy, uh, maybe you'll mm-hmm. be able to uh, help her out with uh, the MS. And um, <laughs> I wish you guys nothing but the best. And uh, thank you so much for coming on here, man. It really yeah, means a lot. So much. Thank you so much, man. Do you yeah. have, um, what's your uh, Instagram or anything that you want to put? Oh, yeah. My Instagram and my Twitter, it's all uh, Malcolm Comedy, at Malcolm Comedy. M-A-L-C-O-L-M? M-A-L-C-O-M-E-D-Y. Oh, and follow me on TikTok, too. Yeah, with the same thing? Malcolm Comedy? Yeah, it should be. Yeah, it's Malcolm Comedy, yeah. 
I love it. Malcolm Comedy on Twitter and Instagram. I really yeah. appreciate you coming on here and uh, looking forward to talking with you again soon. Yeah. Take care, brother. You too, man. All right. That was Malcolm Sills. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we will see you in the next one. Peace.